Hello. Today on the podcast, I'm going to be joined by a special guest and no other co-host as we talk about the Marvel Crisis Protocol affiliation, The Convocation. My name is Josh, and welcome to the Gamers Guild. So, like I mentioned before, today I am joined by a special guest, uh, Will from the House Party Protocol. How are you doing today, Will? I am fantastic, my friend. Glad to be here. Awesome. I am happy to have you, uh, especially considering that you are a bit of a convocation aficionado. Don't don't you put that evil on me, Ricky Bobby? <laughs> Someone's gonna take my word as gospel when listening to this, and they and I, I don't know. I don't think that's good. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, well, don't take anything on any podcast as gospel, unless it's from AMG themselves. But uh, you've been playing it for a good long while. Uh, we both of us have discussed it uh, pretty extensively. Absolutely, yeah. I I've been playing pretty much since they released. So. They released, I think, in the middle of season six of the TTS League, and I switched over to playing them exclusively at that point when they released. I played them all through season seven and all obviously all the in-between times, too. And again, playing them in season eight, I'm taking them with me on, we're taking our show on the road, as it were. <laughs> they're they're kind of my main squeeze currently. So, yeah, I mean, I've got a, I've got a fair bit of stuff with them. I they're fun. They're really fun. What kind of level of success have you seen with them? Um, I've got about a 50% uh, win rate like on Longshanks right now, if that matters. But in general, though, I went to the cuts. I made cuts in this season seven of the TTS for what it's worth. You know, mm-hmm. it means going five and one. Um, I, I did have a buy in there, so I guess it's kind of really four and one. But it is what it is. Um but I, I feel like I've had a good level of success with them. I feel like that there's still a lot of untapped abilities and whatnot to to figure out with them. But it's part of the reason why I'm enjoying playing them so much is because, to me, they are the single most complicated puzzle box in all of MCP. I agree. It's the thing that keeps me nervous about playing them is that they seem to have a lot going on and a lot of things you can do. Yeah. And, and that's really what the end of the day, what they are. I mean, there's, there's a lot of different ways to employ them as I'm sure we're going to talk about, you know, there's different things you can do based on a strategy that you want to play. Like, you know, there is attrition, there is control, there is utility, there is objective. There's all these different styles of play that convocation can fit. And it's just kind of what you're most comfortable playing and what you feel like you're going to get the most success out of. Yep. Yeah, I I think that they really are just like a play however you want. Like, they are so stupid flexible. Absolutely. Uh, Mechanically speaking, like, as an affiliation, which we'll talk about in a minute, and, like, their roster, because there's just, there's a lot to it. So let's kind of get into that actually let's break down a little bit about what makes them unique to other affiliations before we really go into stuff because uh, i think that's an important uh preamble to how they operate um so their leadership operates in a unique way uh why don't you tell us a little bit about it since you have the most experience with it 
Okay, so their leadership is actually a tactics card called the Bar with No Doors. And it's got two different abilities. It has uh, one ability that is a reroll mechanic, I guess you could say, where if you're making an attack against a character that has not activated and it has to be a mystic attack, then you can re-roll one of your attack dice. When you're defending, if you do not have an activated token, you can re-roll one of your defense dice. So it's kind of weird, uh, like this when to use it, when not to use a thing. And then the other side is when you suffer damage from an enemy effect, once the effect is resolved, you can place within one of your current position once per turn. So that's the side that I play the most on because I feel like the other side, it's only in certain situations that you want to flip over to that and whatnot because the ability to move and and be repositioned tends to be more valuable to me and how I do things, but it's not necessarily the only way to play it. I know that you can play it on the other side and have very, very good success levels. But the thing that makes it unique is the fact that it does take up one of your 10 tactics card slots. And the way that you assign this to a leader is once deployment's done, after you're done with everything, that's when you decide who your leader's going to be right before the first activation phase goes. And it's really interesting because you can, I guess, have a little bit of a mind game with your opponent of like, you know, am I going to make Strange my leader? Am I going to make Mordo my Leah, or, or, or leader? Are we playing on Demons Downtown and I want to make Clea my leader because she's just going to sit in the back, you know? Those kind of things are considerations when playing Convocation. And there's no one right answer is, I think, the most interesting thing here that sometimes it is Doctor Strange. Sometimes it's Doctor Voodoo. Sometimes it's Clea, you know? Sometimes it's Mordo. There's a, a many different arguments for many different situations, and that's again part of that like puzzle box and and lining up those runes just right to make sure you made the right decision. I mean, you know, Strange is going to be up in the thick of it a lot. Do you want to potentially lose your leader to Corvus? You know, it's a question you got to ask yourself, and it's a question that a lot of people have to ask themselves in this game overall. But with Convocation, you have that flexibility to say, okay, I'm going to play with Mordo a little off from the front line, he's going to be out on the wings doing some objective stuff maybe, hitting people from range four, whatever it is. And so it's it makes it a really unique and interesting thing that it takes up a tax card slot, so one of your 10, and the, you know, varying level of it. Like, it's got two different things, but you have to actively choose which one you want to use, and you can change that during the power phase it has to be during the power phase that the leader pays one power to flip that card so you have to know what you want to do going into a round if you're going to plan on flipping it mm -hmm. yeah it's it's a lot it's probably the most complex leadership they'll ever have in the game <laughs> like there's so much to it right exactly a lot of lot of planning both like turn zero before you get to the table and then like on the table you're constantly having to make decisions about how do you change it or use it or abuse it or what have you and uh you know even like you mentioned leader the leader could be different uh every t every time uh right. 
I will notice that you didn't mention Wong as a potential leader, and I think that's correct. Well, I mean, <laughs> look, look, to be fair, you could make Wong or Magic your leader here. and You could. There, there's not necessarily a reason not to make Wong your leader other than if you expect your opponent to just immediately run him down. Because yep. he is the least defensive of all of your, your characters here. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you could do it. I'm not going to do it. But you can do it. <laughs> There's merit to a two threat character if you want to splash, but the one thing weird one weird thing about this affiliation is it doesn't take splashes super well. They really like being uh mostly an affiliation, right? Like they're Absolutely. They they're totally okay being just by themselves. Absolutely. So let's just go ahead and get right into uh our suggestions. So because there's two of us instead of three of us. We've got our suggestions, and then we have sort of an honorable mention. And we're going to go through the honorable mentions first before we talk about ours. And our first honorable mention that we're going to bring up is the for the recommended expansion is Voodoo and Hood. Uh, one of these is Convocation. That's Voodoo. Hood is not Convocation, but he also kind of does some really cool things for Convocation. Um, they really like mystic attacks, and he's got a rapid-fire mystic attack, which is unique to him and uh, really interesting. Uh, he has a heal, which is pretty good for the wizards because they're kind of squishy. They kind of take damage really easily, and being able to heal your allies is going to be very very good for keeping them alive for the long run. Um, but he also can transform into like a really crazy physical demon, like physical damage dealing demon beater thing. Uh, which is good for Convocation because they're a bunch of squishy wizards and sometimes it's nice to have a guy that doesn't die who also punches things rather than shoot fireballs at him. Very um, true. But why don't you give us a rundown of uh, Voodoo? Like, there's a lot going on with Voodoo and we don't have to get into, like, everything, but why do you think he's particularly good for Convocation? So, Voodoo is a really unique character in Marvel Crisis Protocol and the biggest thing that I feel like he is unique for and why he's such a, a pivotal part of my convocation is one, he can ramp that damage really nicely, but he provides two levels of control, one of which there is no comp for it in the game. That is possession. So typically you're paying a tax for having a leader or a model, not necessarily a leader, a model that is five threat in Doctor Strange, Sorcerer Supreme, or Doctor Strange, regular Doctor, but also mm-hmm. Sorcerer. <laughs> the <laughs> Defender's version, I guess you could say. So you're paying a tax of having that five-threat character in your squad most of the time. So what that means is you might be playing a little taller. So against wider teams specifically, a possession mechanic can kind of even those odds. So Voodoo is a critical character in that he allows you to play a little taller but without having to feel like you're going to potentially miss out on some objective play if the dice are failing you a little bit. And then he has a throw, which is really nice for the control elements that you like to employ. But his his damage and stuff like that, I mean, Staff of Legba is a super underrated attack. And especially if you can get some re-rolls with it somehow, like you throw a Hamdahl in there to give him some re-rolls, something like that, try to get some more wilds, it can be pretty potent. You know, so... Oh, yeah. He's just a really, 
really great, really unique character. And at the end of the day, the conversation around voodoo begins and ends with possession. Yeah. And how important that is for him functioning as a character. And it's one of those things where it can be perceived or seen as a bit of a negative experience. But at the same time, it's a way that it makes this character relevant on the tabletop because without it, he's good. He's okay. He's fine, but he, he doesn't really stand out in the crowd. You know what I mean? But with, with possession on there, you have to be aware of what the objective situation is because you might be counting a victory point and thinking, okay, well that side of the board is solved. Well, not really because voodoo could get over there and possess you. And I think that that's an interesting thing. And it goes into the, well, if I'm possessing, there's also a negative to it. I'm lowering my defenses. So if I'm putting that possession token out there, I have to actively make a choice about what kind of penalty I'm willing to pay for that. If I do that early, well, maybe I make someone drop an extract, but now I'm open to the clap back myself. Yep. So again, it, it's all that, that puzzle box yet again of, Voodoo is a complicated character, but what he brings to the squad is something that is just incredibly unique, and I almost never leave home without him. Yeah, but, I, I think uh, a lot of affiliations would also agree with all, all that, too. <laughs> exactly. But, I mean, it's for Convocation specifically, the placement that he gets from the leadership or the re-rolls on his attacks to fish for those sap powers, to fish for the power burn, those kind of things potentially... Are, are really set the thing apart. And then another thing that comes in this pack that I think elevates Voodoo and Hood in this affiliation is the tactics cards playing a Poldock. Ah, it's in this one. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. That so was crazy. It's great. If you are familiar with the core box, Dark Rain, how Cabal characters get extra rerolls into a specific character, well, playing a Poldock is a convocation character has to spend the power. However, any mystic attacks against a chosen character can be re-rolled any number of dice. So it's not just limited to convocation characters. So a character like Hood, who is not a convocation character, does get re-rolls on his dark lightning or his rapid fire attack against a chosen target. So it's really good for like single target elimination and stuff like that. And it really helps Voodoo kind of hit those triggers that he's trying to hit with his attacks. Oh, yeah. And, and, like, Power Burn is probably one of the more destructive, like, mystic spenders in the game, especially if you're hitting those wild triggers. And uh, making that way more consistent is uh, super good. Or Absolutely. even something as simple as, like, getting the hit trigger on your rapid fire for Hood. Exactly. And, and that's the biggest thing, is, like, that hit trigger is so critical for him. Mm -hmm. I love it. And to keep in mind, like like all reroll mechanics, it's not like X Wing where you can't reroll the same die twice. This twice, uh, you can reroll uh, with your full reroll on uh, from the plane of Poldock, and then also reroll with the uh, leadership. And then also, if you're feeling really spicy, reroll with something like Hood's Gang if you decided to take that to get an even extra extra reroll. Exactly. So, you can get a lot of stacking stuff in this, uh, with this uh, provided to you with this core or with this box, the expansion. It's not a core box. This is an expansion. And and <laughs> I'm going to be honest with you, 
Plane of Poldock is a staple of the five cards I take yep. pretty much every game. Yeah, I think it's really good for this affiliation. I, I think it's better for Convocation than Dark Rain is for Cabal. I can I can agree with that. Um, so let's go ahead and get your uh, your personal recommended expansion, and then we'll go into mine. Okay, so for me, it is Doctor Strange, Sorcerer Supreme, and Clea, and. There's a few reasons why, first of all, Doctor Strange, Sorcerer Supreme is amazing. The GOAT. He's he's amazing. Like, for real, he has a level of control that very few characters have in this game. The ability to, multiple times, no once per turn, place characters within range three of their position. Notice I said characters that means friends and enemies within range three of their position for four power it's a lot but he starts with three so you just got to get him one and then he can do it at least one time and so he's just he's a critical part of the squad and and he's one of the like just the best control pieces he's got some incredible dps he has a he, he technically has two spenders, one of which is range five, cost you one power, and you're gonna roll six dice. That's mm-hmm. pretty darn good. Range five, six dice. Cable wishes he had that. <laughs> True. Yeah. So, you know, that's really good in and of itself. But then his also his other spender is an area attack that comes in handy way more than you think it would. Like if Strange is sitting there with three damage on him, well, all of a sudden you can do this area attack. It costs you six power. It's a lot, but it has a heal effect with it. So you're sitting there looking in the danger zone at Dr. Strange, and all of a sudden, nope, he's healed back up to full. Mm-hmm. It's it's great. He's he's really great. His mystic armor, when he has certain shenanigans in play, he gets to count wilds are like reverse pierces. It's amazing. And... He gets power when he does that. He's he's incredible. Like, just for real, incredible. Reverse and, Pierce, as in, like, uh, he rolls a wild, and then it turns their attacks to blanks, right? Correct. And, cool. and you get to choose which dice it turns to blanks. So, oh. for instance, if my opponent rolls a wild, and they have, like, let's say, a wild stun. Uh-huh. Well, now you don't have a wild stun anymore. If I rolled a wild on defense. Yeah, true. I'm Unlo- Unless it's one of those weird ones that triggers before that, which like 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 pierce like they could pierce your reverse pierce and then you can't reverse their reverse their pierce exactly it's, it, it's weird stuff but like yeah for the most part you get to like remove like the wild throws and stuff exactly and I'm gonna talk about Clea in a second but I have PTSD from Clea but <laughs> we'll talk about her in a second because I want to talk about two tactics cards that come in this pack that one of which we've already talked about the bar with no doors. You don't have a leadership if you don't buy this pack. Yes. (laughs) I mean, just so there you go. So that card is one of the two. The second card is the Ironbound Books of Shumagorath. And what that does is allow you to use your Mystic Defense for an entire round. You get to use your Mystic Defense instead of your Physical Defense. Only Physical, 
when you're targeted by a physical attack. So the rockets of the world, the star lords, the stupid rogues of the world can change their attack types to be energy so you wouldn't get this benefit. However, the most prevalent attack type in the game is physical and you get to choose your mystic defense when you're targeted. So another nice thing about this is, is you get to choose. So if you're splashing someone, say an Omega Red, and he has four physical defense, well, he can just use that four physical defense. He also has four mystics, so it's probably a bad example. But that's neither here nor there. You can still use the physical. But I, I really like that. And then another nice thing about this is when an allied character is KO'd, you can return this card to your available team tactics card. So yeah, really which is very unique. The the returning tactics card is something you see uh, a couple times in this affiliation. I think. I think the other ones in this uh, in this set too, right? I think so. I'd have to look. Is it the Book of Cagliostro? Yeah, yeah. the one yeah. that gives you an extra activate. Like your character loses its activation token, and you can like. Is it you ditch two tactics cards to, yeah, to bring it back? Yeah, you ditch two tactics cards and you get it back. Yeah, which is cool. It's unique that they have these really big utility cards, and there's a lot of cards to talk about. Oh, absolutely. Like, And I don't take Book of Cagliostro very often just because it's it doesn't fit my style, and it's one that it's really strong, but it also kind of feels like you ha it takes a lot of setup, so it's really hard to pull off. But I love it. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, um, it's very good. Uh, another thing to mention about Ironbound books is, uh, like we talked about with the um, Plane of Poldock, a Convocation character has to spend the power, but all of your characters get it. And you kind of mentioned it with the Splash character, but I wanted to make sure we, we talked about it specifically. Yes. Is that Splash right. characters get it too. And also, also, one of the reasons it's very cool for this affiliation in general is that the Wizards don't take punches very well. Their, their physical defense tends to be pretty low. Ten but they all have twos. <laughs> yeah, a lot of twos. Uh, but their mystic defense tends to be like four and five, and a lot of them will have like cool extra abilities to make their mystic defense even better, like Strange's Reverse Pierce. Yeah. Um, so being able to change their weakest defense type to their strongest is very powerful, and potentially being able to do it multiple rounds if you're uh if you're playing it correctly or maybe incorrectly depending on how you see KOing a character as being exactly um it, it's super good uh it, it's weird because you would look at their cards and think oh their weakest type is physical but a lot of people th will actually tell you that their weakest type is energy because it gets around their high numbers and some of their shenanigans while also preventing books of iron bound books of Shumagorath from being more powerful than it is. Yeah. And that's a really insightful note. I will say Merzane is that the energy is probably the best way to go into them because it's, it's average defense most of the time. Now, look, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to, I'm going to give you the secret tech right here. So talking about iron bound books overall oh, secret sauce, secret sauce. Do not attack Doctor Strange with a physical attack while the books are up. <laughs> no. You beat your head against the wall doing it. Again, this is not gospel. Play the game however you want. But I'm telling you right now, if, if the books are up, you need to figure out something else to do with Strange. Or if you're, if you're searching for a specific trigger or something like that, fine. 
do, do what you got to do. But it is, it is beating your head against the wall, attacking him because he has the, he still has the Ayabagamoto, which is the defensive reroll thing or offensive reroll thing. He can reroll everything. So just realize it's really hard to punch through it. It, it. it can happen. Like if you're Magneto and you're rolling six dice and you're within range two and you get the full rerolls, go for it. But yep. outside of that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Strange becomes a, a bit of a monster under this, uh, this card. Yes. But uh, energy attacks are less good. He only has three defense dice. He still gets his mystic armor. But it's energy, by and large, is the attack type you want to use into a lot of these characters. But they still have some nice little tech for energy. Clea just has three defense, but like uh, another character that we're going to talk about soon has three, but some re-rolls. So anyways, I mentioned Clea. So let's talk about Clea. Clea. Because... I love Clea. There's definitely some hate out there for Clea, and I understand it. She's three, two, three, four on the defenses. So, like, that's kind of weak. She doesn't have great attack. It's range three, only four dice, only gains one power. Mm-hmm. However, she is a very critical support character for the convocation for a couple of reasons. So, you notice I said Doctor Strange gains three power per turn, right? Voodoo, he only gains one, but he's got the saps. And he gets power when he rolls a skull as well. So also really nice. Then you've got, got the saps. 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 Yes. Like a maple tree's got sap. So mm-hmm. Clea has for an action to do the same thing that Red Skull does. Roll five dice on a skull, take a damage. For each skull, take a damage. She just automatically gains three power. Then she rolls the rolls the skulls potentially. Well, mm-hmm. my PTSD from that is rolling four skulls on the very first turn of the game with her. One point one percent chance. Somebody did the math out there. So, yeah, Clea didn't do much that game. <laughs> but yep, she gains three power immediately. So if you're doing the math at home, that's four power during the power phase or at the beginning of her activation. She can get right. So she's got the three from that, the one from the power phase. She has two superpowers. She has a throw, which is a terrain feature or enemy character of size two. It's range three. It's a range three throw. So she can move up and throw someone off the midline very easily for three power right there. Yep. She also has the Vapors of Dormammu, which is my favorite play more so than the throw. The throw is probably better, but this is the one I use. Another allied character within range three, place it within range two of its current position. Cost you three power as well. So what I like to do is place Dr. Strange up, and then he can, at that point, really affect the midline very easily to start building his own power for his own places and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. But she's just a really important support character because of those two superpowers, and then if you're playing on Demons Downtown, she's got the immunity to incinerate, and it is solid gold. Oh, true, yeah. I always forget she's immune to incinerate. Yep. <laughs> so, like, she's not in my list every time, but I like playing with her more often than not. But the interesting thing you have to do when you play with her is you, you have to realize that she's going to be an offensive liability. So you have to get use out of her in other ways, and that is objective play, the throw, the places, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And try not to kill her with your dice. Try not to have her kill herself, yeah. Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, I, I, I have definitely, like you said at the beginning, like seen a lot of people dislike her, and I think she's pretty good. Like, she isn't the greatest character of all time. She's not going to solo win you games. But like I think of several of the support characters in Convocation, it's sort of a death by a thousand cuts kind of thing. But like mostly in that it, like it's helping your guys do the cuts better. Exactly. Uh, and, and that's what it is. It's, it's fueling the other stuff that you want to do. Yep. And I think people really underestimate the power of a range three throw. Oh, absolutely. They underestimate that. It's only size two, but the majority of the majority of characters are size two. You're hitting most people. Uh, and, and she's not much of a damage dealer, but that's fine because she does those two things very well. She, she tries to displace people and move them around yours exactly. and theirs. Exactly. And, and another interesting thing about her is like, you know, with her and some other characters in this affiliation, you can functionally use them as passes early on in the game. So like I can activate Clea, gain my five power or gain my three power, hopefully not kill her. And then I can move to secure an objective and her turns over very simple, very easy turn. Yep. Right. And, and it doesn't give my opponent any information. You know what I mean? Like, I can use her her thing here, and I can place Doctor Strange forward. That doesn't give my opponent any information. It just means Doctor Doctor Strange is now a, a, a bigger threat to you. He already was a threat. Now it's just more of a threat. Mm-hmm. You know, so uh, like her and and another character we're going to talk about have have ways to kind of give yourself a functional pass, which is really nice. Yeah, and. Uh... Not only is it not giving information, but it's saving those big boy uh, activations for later. Like your, uh, like you said, your um, your Doctor Strange. Now he doesn't have to activate super early in the round and get somewhere and then be exposed. He's going to be able to activate late and uh, uh, actually get work done potentially. Exactly. Exactly it. Well, uh, if you don't have anything else to say about those two, I think we'll go ahead and get into my suggested box. Go right ahead, sir. So I suggested the Ancient One and Baron Mordo box. Um, I think that one of these characters is probably more used than the other, but I think both of these characters are very valuable for a, uh, uh, a convocation list. So I'm going to start with the Ancient One, who's probably the one people don't take as much. Um, she's a fourth threat character. She has, I think you mentioned earlier, she's got two physical defense, three energy, five mystic, uh-huh. which feels very standard for this affiliation. And she's got three really good mystic attacks. She's got range two builder with pierce, five die, a range three gainer with four dice that poisons people if you damage. Gainer being she gains a single power after the attack is resolved. And she's got. What are the best spenders in the game, honestly? Uh, it's two range mystic, eight die for four power. Uh, your opponent does not add crit results in its defense roll to its successes and doesn't add additional dice to its defense roll because of crits. So crits don't count, and crits also don't explode. And then if she deals damage, the target character gains stagger. 
we're not quite done with all of her stuff. And then I'm going to kind of go into how this all fo flows together. Uh, she also has Mists of Hogoth. It's going to let her place within two, kind of like Toad's Hop. Uh, Winds of Watoom is an interesting thing. If she gets attacked, she can pay three power and push them towards her small. Um, and then she also has a two-part ability, Keeper of the Eye of Agamotto, where she gains additional power. We're going to talk about the other part in just a second. First, we're going to talk about what all this does. This makes her some crazy good assassin. She wants to sit kind of off to the side, off the back, just out of reach, just out of mind, hop in with the Mists of Hogoth and just murder a guy off the table. Uh, <laughs> and she's really good at it. Uh, Pretty darn good, yeah. She benefits heavily from the rerolls because of her pierce. Um, she benefits from the place because it can get her in or out of danger. So both sides of the uh, both sides of the leadership are going to help her a lot. And she's going to build a lot of passive power with the with this extra power gain. She's kind of an honorary as guardian, and mm -hmm. all she's going to use it for is getting in and doing her damage. And that's all you need. You don't. She doesn't have a whole bunch of fancy stuff. She does. Aside from Winds of a Tomb, it's kind of fancy. Um, but she's just she's just gonna go in. She's gonna try to kill, and you gotta kill her first, or uh, you're gonna be in for a world of hurt. <clears throat> the yeah. spender is similar to Vision Spender, uh, but honestly, I think it's better. <laughs> and Vision Spender is ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, it's it's Mystic, which is super great. And then, yep, I will say, having played enough Ancient One. It really does feel bad when you actually don't do damage with an astral strike. <laughs> yes. It really feels bad because you're like, all right, it's, I just got to get one damage through and then you're staggered. Yeah. You know? Mm -hmm. But uh, the Ancient One's a very focused character, you know, and, and very mm -hmm. purpose built and is really interesting because very, like you said, assassin. Like she's such an assassin. But you can't just throw her out there willy nilly either. Nope. You you have that two physical defense really can hurt you. Now, granted, she does have martial artist, which is yep. great. She has keeper of the eye of Agamotto, so she can re-roll. But you know what she can't re-roll is skulls. No, she can't. <laughs> so yeah. you roll you roll a skull and one of those two defense dice, you're in for a world of hurt. Yeah. Uh, unique to her is that the martial artist and the keeper actually give her physical like she has answers to physical which the others don't really do like they're all just like oh I got punched I'm dead exactly. um, and getting things thrown into you is also terrible but she gets to reroll dice on dodges and defense and like you said martial artist counts blanks on the physical and the energy so she's got really good odds to block stuff but she's just not blocking a lot she'll just kind of like rocket rocket consistently blocks one or two yeah. Uh, she's kind of going to be in that same boat unless you throw mystic at her where she's got five and then she gets to reroll two. So she gets a lot of like potential, like buffed up power defense on that, uh, on that mystic attack. So under, under the books, the, the ironbound books turn, uh, you can either have her take something with martial artist if they're really close and you think, Oh, well, I'm only going to take like, you know, a damage or two anyway. Or you could be like, oh, this is a big attack. We're going for the Mystic. We're going to try to block as much as we can. Absolutely. That's absolutely it. And, you know, don't sleep on the winds of Watoom. Like, it's a really interesting superpower, but it's also like, oh, hey, I'm going to move up to secure this objective, then I'm going to throw some dice at you. Well, 
guess what? Now you're not securing that objective anymore because it's when you're targeted, you get to do that superpower. So as long as they don't have any movement on the back end, so like a steel rush or something, well, now all of a sudden they're off the objective and Ancient One potentially could go and secure that objective on her turn. And it's also kind of a bit of defensive tech. Like if you're sitting on a point and your opponent's also sitting on a point and they shoot her and you go, nah, you're closer now. Then your opponent has like a weird decision to make. Like, do I attack her again and daze her or do I move back to the point? And if they move back to the point, you kind of effectively staggered them because they only got one like meaningful action. Or they might try to kill you, in which case now there's a point open for you to go take. Or a character out of position for you to for you to daze in, in return. Uh, so it, it has a lot of really good uses. Or if they double attack you, you survive the first, and they attack you, and you go wins of a tomb. Now you can't move back to the point. Ha ha! Should have thought of that before you swung at the ancient one. That's right. Surprise! Uh, <laughs> surprise! Um, I'm going to talk about one of the cards here real quick. Uh, or let's go ahead and talk about two of the cards here. Uh. One is the one that's probably going to be like also in a lot of your lists, uh, and that's the Orb of Agamotto. It's any number of Convocation characters not holding an objective, so just like New Rainbow Bridge. They can spend three power each. All the ones that spent power are placed within three of their current location. So it's literally just Rainbow Bridge. But Convocation characters are probably going to get a little bit more uh, like benefit out of it. Because they're so squishy, it's a good way to run away, as opposed to Asgard characters, who are probably going to use it to go in. Um, but also, they have, you know, talking about like Doctor Strange having so much power gain. Uh, Asgardians typically, like Ancient One, will build a little bit of power over time, more so than the normal. But a lot of these characters in this affiliation have power for days sometimes. Oh, yeah. So Orb is a little bit easier to pay for for them. Uh, and it's a good way to get Ancient One in. Like, on the turn you know you want her to go in, you can Orb of Agamotto her up and then hop, and that's a lot of distance moved uh, for, granted, five power, but using no actions. Oh, yeah. Uh, no, it's it's really potent. And my favorite play with Orb of Agamotto is, you're talking about using it defensively, like, it's, it's really nice on something like Sword Base or something, after you've kind of been battling back and forth, people are sitting there with some power to be able to just burn that card, move around, secure some objectives, stuff like that on multiple different characters. Yes, very yep. wonderful. My personal favorite thing to do with it is, like I said earlier, Doctor Strange starts with three power. So right off the rip, Doctor Strange can spend his three power, and if, even, and if he got some help from Clea, boom, he's on the midline without spending an action and just blasting fools. It's awesome. <laughs> it's awesome. Yeah, it's it's super good. It's super flexible, just like Rainbow Bridge. Uh, but I think, like I said, I think it's better in this affiliation. I think they do more with it. There's a lot more stupid shenanigans you can pull off. Right, yeah. And, and less, there's, there's a lot of, like, out-of-action power generation in this affiliation. And whereas, like, Asgard wants to spend all their power all the time, right? Convocation's not necessarily spending all their power all the time. Unless you're strange. Yeah. yeah. Strange wants to spend his entire stack every turn, it feels every like. Turn. Um, he wants to spend down to one so that he can start the next turn with, with four. a teleport online. Yeah. 
the other card in here is Astral Ring, uh, which is kind of an honorable mention. Astral Ring is weird. Uh, you place a projection token within three of a character. And basically, the token is the character. Uh, it, it, it Your character doesn't contest objectives, and you don't uh, measure ranges from them. From your character, you measure from the token for a round. Um, and then your character can't be advanced or placed, and the token can't move. Uh, and it also contests... I don't know if I mentioned it. It contests objectives instead of your character. So basically, it's like a, a, a weird range three place for two power, again. <laughs> so yeah. you could potentially for seven power with with you know with a ancient one she could orb hop well she can't do the hop actually i forgot because it's the start of their activation but she could do rather than the hop she could do the the three their range three place uh and then be even further forward and then maybe a little safer because her body will be like maybe behind some cover or a a giant building or within bodyguard range of someone. Um, and then she can do her, her attacks on someone that's uh, kind of in a back line. It's a uh, weird card. One of the hardest ones to use in the game, I think. It, it is. Uh, I can tell you from personal experience that this one's really hard because what, what you talked about, right? Like being in a safe position while still affecting the game, right? And it's And it only contests objectives, right? So... Mm-hmm. If you have a pay to flip or something like that, it I don't, it doesn't allow you to interact. You just contest the objective. I think you can interact. I I'm I I took I, it uh, Nergoldar and he said contesting isn't interacting and it doesn't explicitly say that you can interact from it. Uh, I guess it depends on how interact's worded. I don't remember. Well, I thought it was if you're contesting, you can interact. I could be wrong. He, he, I trust the Goldar. Look at yeah, it, he didn't explicitly say that you couldn't do it. Just the way he said it was very um, can't do. It. Let's see if I can find it in here. Anyways, um, the point I'm making is I don't think you can interact with objectives from it, mm-hmm. which is something that you have to account for. But with that, the hardest thing about it is when you play it your character can't move or be placed or anything like that from stuff you do like your opponent can do stuff to them but you can't advance them or place them as part of your superpowers and stuff right so it's really hard to like play that and then not be out of position on the next turn you know what i mean so like if you put yeah. that token down and and now you have to spend the next activation to kind of get back to where that token was to do stuff. It it can kind of put you behind. And that's one of the things I learned playing these guys early on. It's a really strong card, and it's really nice for a character like Voodoo who wants to possess a black cat who's r- trying to run away or something, right? Like, really nice to do that with the Astral Ring, but now Voodoo's potentially out of position for a whole other round. Mm-hmm. So it's hard to play in that way. It's kind of like you're cashing in that that movement this turn, like and like holding that for next turn. So now, like you are gonna have to make that move eventually, but maybe we could postpone it for a turn. Exactly. All right. Well, let's go ahead and move on to the other character, which I think is one that you'll see a lot more. Uh, one of the reasons you don't see a lot of ancient one too, it's because she's four cost, and four is weird in this affiliation. I feel like because you're doing voodoo most of the time. Yeah. And. 
four costs are usually weird in a lot of affiliations, but this one especially. Um, the other character in this this one, I think that gets a lot of use and is very good, uh, is Baron Morda. Uh, he's a three threat. Um, he also has three mystic attacks. Uh, a four die range three builder with a push for size two on a wild. A four die range four gainer with a wild hex. And a range four cost four seven die spender that after it's resolved, the target character gains incinerate and poison. Uh, so he doesn't do a whole lot of damage personally, but he does a lot of ways to set up your your characters to do more damage to them or to get them out of position, um, which is really good. He also has a, uh, a superpower called Mash the Occult, gives him two power, can only use it once per turn. Think like Vision, but he can't synthesize twice. Soul Barb is an interesting one we'll get to in a second. Uh, Ferocity of Sidorak is one of the like key car things on his card, I think. It is when an ally... So Ferocity of Sidorak is probably the most important rule on his card. What it does is when an allied character within three of him targets an enemy with an attack, Mordo can add two dice to that attack for two power, and then the attacker suffers a damage. So they're going to get hurt, but they're going to get two more dice on their attack rolls. Only use a superpower once per turn. It's a lot like Death's Decree from Thanos, but for more than half the cost to, uh, for like character. Because Thanos is like a six to eight threat character. This is a three threat character. Right. Um, then he's got a couple utility spells for himself. Vaulting Boots of Voltor says when he's pushed, you can pay two, and then he can advance short. So if someone tries to push you off a point short, he can just walk right back on it. Um, or if someone pushes you closer to them like when web warriors he can pay two to get back <laughs> and say no 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 i'm staying back here yes um soul barb is a weird one it doesn't get used often but it's a really interesting one that can take people by surprise there's a big uh, reason why it doesn't get used often i'll let you describe that in a second uh because you'll know better than i will probably yeah uh he pays two. choose an enemy within three of him with one or more of the following conditions Hex, incinerate, poison, or slow. You choose one of those special conditions, and then each enemy within two of the chosen character <clears throat> gains the special condition too. So, like, if he hexes someone with his bolts of Bishru, he can then say, oh, cool, that guy's uh, hexed. Now all the guys around him are hexed too. Or the incinerate and poison from his reigns of Ragador. Yeah, everyone else is incinerated around him too. Um, slow is not one that he provides. I don't know who does it in this affiliation but if you find someone that does he can also put it on other people clea clea does it on her spender for, oh um, yeah and she does like stagger and something it, else just to get a lot of triggers to get the stagger yeah yeah uh so bear mordo basically like just pumps up the offensive value of your characters like ancient one talking about her being an assassin um dr strange is a good choice because of his extra rerolls on his dice uh from the eye of agamotto and then also you're playing a Poldock turn. These two extra dice you just rolled in get to also be re-rolled with your, with your uh, playing a Poldock or your Eye of Agamotto or whatever card you may have. Uh, so he, he really bumps up the offensive capability of, your, of him with that. And then also, like I said, his hex and incinerates and stuff that he could potentially put on people uh, really just support like being able to murder people. Almost oh, definitely. I, I love Baron Mordo. He's 
in 90% of my squads for Ferocity of Sidorak specifically. Like, yep. got utility outside of that. His staff of the Living Tribunal, it's only range three, it's only four dice. On a wild, he can push people that are size two away. It's really useful. The wild hex on Bolts of Bishu, like you mentioned, very useful. It's range four, it's four dice. He's relatively safe on that big base. But Ferocity of Sidorak really turns strange to 11. Because, mm-hmm. okay, you roll that seven dice in, you maybe whiff it a little bit, you get to Ayavagamoto, seven dice again. I mean, yep. that it's, it's great. It's great. Okay, so you'll take a damage on Strange. Well, you're probably not doing this early enough in the turn to where Strange is going to be in danger. So, on the next turn, you're popping up the books, Ironbound books of Shumagorath, and that one damage shouldn't hurt you as much, potentially. Right? There's a lot of, obviously, things happen. But... Yeah. For me, Ferocity of Sidorak is the one shining reason why he's here. Now, I will say Reigns of Ragador is an incredible spender, really. It's seven dice, and it throws out the incinerate and poison conditions, which doesn't seem like a lot, but it really is because it's also range four. So you're able to hit targets pretty far away, which I really like. Yeah, the thing about him is... Bear Mordo has a surprising amount of like area of influence because he yeah. personally has a long area with being a minimum range three on his builder, the staff, uh, his other two being range four. And then also characters being able to attack, uh, out, like if they're within range three of him, they can attack as far as they want and he can still buff them. Exactly. Exactly. And then the thing about soul barb. So I mentioned this a few minutes ago. Yep. The fact that he doesn't natively trigger those conditions just without doing anything, it, it makes Soul Barb really hard to use. Bolts of Beeshrew, in my experience, I'm not hexing people most of the time. I, I think it's right. like a 30% chance of hexing someone. More often than not, you're not getting the hex off. And if you notice, as you went through that, the only other way for him to get Incinerator Poison out, and let's not even talk about slow is through his spender, which costs you four power. So if you're four power for your spender, then another two power for your soul bar, that's six power. That's a lot. And it's one of those things where unless you have another way to get those conditions out, soul barb just feels like a bit of a miss for me. And like, I try to use it. I I literally want to use it every game. But then I remember, oh, that's right. This superpower doesn't actually put the condition on them. It just spreads it is really cool but in my humble opinion this is just me i really wish that this superpower was like you can do either or you can put it on them or spread it once per turn i could see that you know what uh, i mean like, like that yeah. cool. i think it's a cool power right like i think it's unique and i think when you get it to work it's probably pretty good, but I think, like you said, it, it is kind of hard for him to apply it personally. And typically, if you're having to do a whole lot of like multi-character synergies, like it has to be a really big payoff for it to be really good, because like right. it can be really hard to organize a bunch of characters together to do one thing. Uh, and this isn't a huge payoff most of the time. Like, if you're put most of the ways that you put conditions on people is attacking them. And so you're probably attacking them to kill them, not to apply a condition. Right. So if you don't kill them, 
you're probably giving them a lot of power. Then you're moving Baron Mordo within range three of them to spread the power, and then he's in danger. And none of these powers, aside from like Hex, like stops their output. It's not like Shock or something or Stagger. So right. potentially they're getting like you're getting like fully powered up dudes coming at you, and it's it can be really rough. Right. So it's that's why Soul Barb is really it's unique and interesting, but just with the the, the subtle change of letting that superpower actually apply one of those conditions would would go a long way to making it i think that much more powerful you'd probably always use yeah. hex or incinerate but either way it's he's still a cool character and you know we were talking earlier about leadership and stuff like that baron mordo is typically the guy i use as my leader i'd say about 75 percent of the time mm-hmm. because like you said he plays those longer ranges really well and what I like to do, again, this is another character that has that effective pass. Move, master the occult, and now I'm ready to give someone a ferocity of Sidorak. Yep. Right off the rip. Yeah, and uh, like you said, he, him being the being able to keep, keep the range and stuff and play as an effective pass, like he's still going to get all of his benefits, basically, because most of it's passive benefit. Uh he doesn't need to be attacking. He just he just needs to be there supporting. Which oh yeah. is, which is something you you find a lot in this affiliation. Yes. And and that's the thing about this affiliation as we get deeper into this discussion is there's so much support that you have to leverage that support at the right times. And another like little sub thing of Baron Mordo that I think is easy to overlook. He's on a 50 millimeter base and he moves medium. It's a he lot fast. of movement. He can cover a lot of distance. He's pretty quick, yeah. So, which, on top of the, the that the vaulting boots being able to advance him short, also means that's a that's a much bigger uh, short than you might be expecting. Oh, absolutely. All right. Well, let's go on and start talking about our recommended splash characters now. Just like the last one, we're going to start with our neutral, our our uh, honorable mention, uh, Shadowlands Daredevil. Uh, we could probably talk a lot about Shadowlands Daredevil, you know, why he's good. Um, yeah. But let's kind of keep it a little brief on him. Um, I think part of the, the big things is he's pretty defensive against physical energy while providing good physical attacks. His backside has a potential um, mystic attack you could use if you wanted to get that kind of synergy. Uh, his hand ninjas he brings are also very good in a lot of ways. Uh, particularly that when they die, they bring back Ironbound Books of Shumagorath, and they have a superpower that if they're holding an objective, they can kill themselves to give it to someone else, which brings your Ironbound Books back. Um, and then he's also just hard to kill. He's got... Uh, he always has martial artists, so he always counts blanks for physical and energy attacks, no matter the range. And he has stealth, so he's kind of hard to get into. Oh, yeah. uh, is there any other things that you can think of that really like bring him up? I mean, you pretty much nailed it in terms of why he's in my convocation list. It's it's one of those things where the the ninjas killing themselves to get your books back, it it basically means you can have out of a six round game, potentially you can have five rounds of up uptime on your books, yep. which is huge. Now, in practice it doesn't work that way. But 
it's it's really strong. He's he's really really good as a splash character, more so than his counterpart that brings the ninjas Electra. Yeah, and, and then like just the fact that he can uh, like if normally you get two rounds of uptime, right? Because like you use it and then eventually someone dies and you just use it again to help shore up the late game. Being able to go, all right, here's the first play with it, boom. Like round two, here's books. Now round three, uh, we kill the guys and get books back. Like, it's pretty good. Oh, absolutely. Uh, I I use it to great effectiveness on certain crises. You know, it, it's it's very critical for me on certain crisis setups. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, it it's it's pretty good. It's pretty nifty. Yeah, um, and and he's good enough in his own right. Like. His spender is cheap enough. It's only three power, and he doesn't spend his power on anything else. That it's it's pretty solid. Yeah, and it refreshes your hand ninjas. Exactly. No, that wait. No, that one doesn't refresh no, your hand ninjas. No, 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 it's, no, the, it's, yeah, it's, it's the strike that refreshes hand ninjas. Strike the strike that brings it back exactly. Okay. Yeah, it it gets benefits if there are hand ninjas nearby. That's what it is. Exactly. And then it's the one that becomes the uh, the mystic attack on the other side. So it does. very potentially nice. a nine die mystic attack on his backside. And if you ferocity of Sidorak it, I mean eleven dice. Yeah, <laughs> and, and you turn it into an area attack. Yeah, he's got an ability that turns into an area attack. <laughs> yeah, he seems pretty good. Yeah, he's, uh, he's really solid. Well, I'm gonna go ahead and talk about my splash, then we'll get into yours. So, yeah. uh. Mine is the Hulk, which sounds weird. Like, why would the wizards bring the Hulk? Well, we've talked about them having, like, a weakness to physical stuff. And also, they have a lot of mystic attacks because they buff it and stuff. But that means that they have a weakness to physical attacks, which Hulk does not, with having 20 health and 4 defense on his physical. And uh, he also... Hulk, not puny banner. And, yeah, and he can reroll... Uh, he can sometimes reroll his dice against those those uh, those types. Um, he also throws uh, terrain and characters, which is very good for the wizards. They don't have a lot of terrain throws or ways to get that extra bit of damage in. Clea being an exception and uh, Voodoo being an exception, but they're typically not using those. Their power on those. Um, they also potentially have an issue with doing damage to people who have high mystic defense or like mystic defense tech, such as Ultron or Magneto or something. Mm-hmm. Hulk gets around that by swinging big money strikes uh, and bringing a beam three uh, energy that only gets stronger the more he gets the crap beaten out of him. So he also has some uh, uh, the gamma leap so he can move himself and then Clea can move him on his uh, 65 millimeter base. So he can, he's actually much quicker than you think he is. Uh and if you're on the side of his side of your leadership where he gets to be placed when he's attacked, that's even more movement on the 65 millimeter base. So there's just a whole bunch of stuff that he brings to the table. Um, albeit for a, a high cost, but he kind of shores up a lot of weaknesses for the affiliation, like in one clean package. Oh yeah. I, I don't disagree with you there at all. And typically when I have Hulk in my list, he sees the table at 18 threat or higher. Yeah. Because I'm able to kind of really bring in some fun little tools, especially 18 specifically, like 18 threat with Hulk. So that, that means you're looking at Hulk, Voodoo, 
Strange, and Mordo. Mm -hmm. The nice thing about a Mordo-Hulk synergy is, oh, someone has done three damage to my Hulk. Well, guess what? Mordo's going to Ferocity of Sidorak him, and now he's got that extra two dice, plus he gets to that four damage, so he's going to get another die on the next attack. You know, it's little things like that. Like, you don't necessarily want to damage your own people, but it's a nice little thing that you can do for sometimes that I really like. And and you made a lot of really good points, and the movement shenanigans is crazy. The thing about his placement on taking damage with the leadership is huge. It's mm -hmm. huge. It, yes. when, he, when he uses the Circle of the Cosmos to place after that damage, it, it's, it's really nice. And yeah, Hulk was a mainstay in my list in Season 7, and I'm trying to run without him this season, and I don't know how it's going to go. <laughs> I feel like it's hard. Hulk is really good right now in a lot of places. And I think that like, it's really cool just seeing him bust up in random places like this. Absolutely. Yeah. He's, he's an incredible splash. And if you're looking at that six threat range, I think there's some other candidates that really, really fit the bill too. You just have to play a little bit of a different game with them. Mm -hmm. well, no, <laughs> no, <laughs> Uh, let's go into yours though. What, uh, who is yours? I think yours is a little bit different than, than mine in terms of scope. Yeah. So for me, I think a really good splash is lizard because it, for a lot of reasons, one, okay. Your weakest thing is the physical, right? So lizard gives you a bit of a tanky boy. He has the healing factor, which is very underrated, with convocation specifically, right? So yep. Lizard has four physical defense. He's got a throw. He, his builder's kind of crappy. But you know what's not crappy is when you give that builder two extra dice. Nope. And then you heal that damage you just took from a Ferocity of Sidorak right after you did that. I never thought of that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's pretty good. It's super good. So the fun thing about Lizard is is when Lizard's in your list, you pair him and Mordo together on like a B shape or a D shape, and they just run all over the board together, kind of buffing, you know, Mordo buffs Lizard, and Lizard just goes ham. Mm -hmm. Or Lizard runs across the board and steals your opponent's objectives. And then survives by being fairly tanky, reducing damage, and then hopping himself back with Circle of the Cosmos. Yeah. So he's a, he's a really nice splash. He's, he's kind of one-dimensional. I know that, at least for convocation, but he doesn't cost you a lot to get on the board. And like, there's a thing I've been experimenting with a little bit called wide vocation. <laughs> That's what I call it anyways, where you're like Dr. Strange, and then you're just throwing a bunch of threes out there. Right. And, and Lizard fits that bill really well. I could see that, yeah. I, I definitely think Lizard is a good splash anywhere. And important to note that we're discussing this after the uh, standard timeline changes in the Challenger packet. So now Med Pack and Field Dressing no longer exist. So Lizard being able to heal himself a little bit more, it's pretty good. It, it's uh, I think that's a really good ability to have uh, in the current format. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and he's got enough health. And And again, we're talking about probably going to have a Wong or something like that with us where if he's holding an objective, he's taking a little bit of damage, heal himself, and then Wong can run up and heal him a little more too. Yep. Or Hood if you brought Hood. 
or hood exactly so lots of lots of nice little synergies here and it, you know the the healing factor and the ferocity of Sidorak is my favorite thing to do with lizard but i know it's not the only thing he does and again what you do by bringing lizard so you've got lizard on a 50 millimeter base he moves medium you've got mordo on a 50 millimeter base he moves medium you've got strange on a 50 millimeter base he moves medium you've got voodoo on a 50 millimeter base he moves medium so you literally have almost web warriors level of movement yeah with these characters at this point yeah they're surprisingly quick especially with their movement shenanigans too like orbs and portals and all kinds of shenanigans exactly so it's a lizard is lizard is is in and out of my list constantly for various reasons but right now i'm i'm taking a break from lizard to see if something else works but i really like lizard and i'm probably going to be missing him a little bit oh i bet Well, let's kind of get into a, a, a playstyle breakdown real quick. So kind of summing it all up uh, for us two, and then for our honorable mention, for our third player person, we're just going to talk about something you touched on with Lizard, which is um, running, just kind of like running your big medium-based medium movers uh, across the table, grabbing stuff and using those co- the Cosmos or whatever to, to move back. Uh, it's a very powerful playstyle for them. Uh, uh, it, it kind of asks your opponent the question, can you deal with these tanky boys or can you steal the things from these tanky boys? And if the answer is no, your opponent's going to have a really rough time uh, getting into the into the extract game. Absolutely. And I mean, basically the breakdown of it is you take a character like Lizard and a character like Voodoo who have those big bases. You could do it with Strange. I probably would not just, it's kind of tough to do. But Voodoo or Lizard, especially Lizard, you, on a five extract setup, so Circle, so Spider Infected or the Cube Fragments, you line up directly across from from one of the side ones. First activation, you run across and grab your opponent's thing. Now, your Mm -hmm. opponent has a choice to make. Dunk on that character. And each time you do that dunk, you you are potentially moving backwards with your Circle of the Cosmos placement from your leadership or kind of go one-on-one with that character and try to win that way. If it's a character like Lizard versus a character, uh, like a, ge- a generic character, right? I, don't, I can't think of one off the top of my head. It's kind of hard for them to do, yep. generally speaking. And even if they do get that one damage through, okay, well, now I'm out of range again. And, oh, now I'm out of range again. Nope, now I'm out of range again, potentially. You know what I mean? So yep. a lot of interesting things can happen there. And, you know, it's not foolproof. I would say it doesn't have doesn't come without its risks, and it doesn't work on everyone. Like, don't do this against Black Order. Yeah, Just don't. <laughs> you're down a character then. Good luck. Thanos is trying to kidnap you anyway, and you just kidnapped yourself essentially exactly that's exactly it so it's uh it's one of those things where it's it's a very valid play style but it's not one that you want to deploy everywhere and in my current list i have the ability to play it but it's only one of my extracts and if i pull that extract into a bad matchup i have an an additional plan that i can employ also Mm -hmm. so 
Yeah, it's not the best strategy, but it's definitely one to keep in mind. Against the uninitiated and the unprepared, it can be extremely devastating. That's And that's exactly it. When your opponent isn't ready for it, it's going to sneak up on them and, it, and it'll be like, oh my gosh, I'm down four to one on extracts now all of a sudden. It's really yeah. strong. It's brutal. But so, it's really hard to do. <laughs> yeah, it's really hard to pull off. It's really hard to like make it stick. Yep. So let's kind of move into ours. I'll start with mine real quick. Uh, I just labeled it as utility nonsense, right? <laughs> so um, I mentioned a few times, like a lot of these characters have a lot of utility. There's a lot of like weird things they do. And the thing that I, I, I played them a couple times um, and I've theoried with lists and stuff, especially because, you know, we've talked a lot about you playing them. Right. Um, so of course I've kind of thought about it too. Um, but I typically think about like, I talked earlier about how it's hard to, you know, get all these intermingling character um, synergies, but I want to try that. Like that seems like fun to me, like getting all these, these abilities, like this big, you build this giant toolbox where you're not winning because you have the best defense or the best offense or the best control because you just have all these tools available that when your opponent's like, here's a question for you. One of your characters goes, I have the answer. And then you can answer it. And it's just this, con- this back and forth of question and answer where you're, all of your characters just have some way to deal with it. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's not the best because obviously like having a very hard question to ask, such as like a lot of, tanky characters or a lot of hard-hitting characters uh skews like that can be a lot harder to bust through well and the interesting thing you say about like you know hey here's my here's my answers to your questions right and or or here's here's my questions do you have answers mm-hmm. you know and and saying utility nonsense with these guys is it, it's really insightful because what you have to think about is they're they're so much complexity within each of these characters like if you pull up voodoo supreme mordo and ancient ones character cards you're going to see some of the wordiest cards in the game yep and understanding as the player playing those characters when to deploy those different tools is is where the utility nonsense comes into play it's like okay well you know Ancient one's a little tanky, or she's a really good like one-on-one assassin. So I'm gonna play her on uh, Infinity Formula. She's gonna be on a side with maybe Wong. Like her and Wong are gonna tag team a side together, and Wong's gonna just gonna try to heal her up. And your opponent maybe didn't bring but a three threat, and Ancient one's able to kind of over time win that battle or or whatever you know whatever yeah. the thing is. But like. Figuring out when to deploy those different tools is the hardest part about them. Yep. You know, it's also so. one of the most interesting parts about them because it's oh, so it, unique. Oh, it's super fun. And I'll tell you right now, if, if you're out there and you're looking to play Convocation, one, it's incredibly rewarding. Two, it's, it's definitely something that you got to practice at. Yep. 100%. I mean, you're going to put Strange on the board, Supreme on the board and feel good about it. He's going to do work, but to kind of get everything else to line up and, and get the most out of Mordo, you know, get the most out of Clea voodoo, those other characters, you got to kind of get some, some time with them. 
say ancient one ancient one is is proven really hard nut to crack for me yeah she's very weird i i i don't like she's definitely one of the ones when, I, when i'm building like theory my theory lists she's always like the first i want to chop but then i'm like but she's really uh-huh. good uh-huh i think it's not that she's a bad character it's that uh she is a different character to play that most people are used to yeah and she doesn't do some of the like whereas Mordo, Clea, Strange, Voodoo, Shadowlands, Daredevil, Magic. You know, Magic's probably a, a bit of a comp to, like, a cheaper Ancient One. But, like, Ancient One wants to be on her own, more or less, right? Like, she she can operate autonomously, whereas the other ones kind of want to be with each other in some way or another. Mm-hmm. It is the way I kind of look at it. Right. Maybe. Right there, right. <laughs> So. Well, let's go ahead and get into your play style. So I like your idea. Well, I appreciate that. I tend to play what I like to call like attrition with a side of control. And what I mean by that is leveraging Strange Supreme's output to, to snowball into picking the right moment to press my advantage, if that makes sense. So like Strange with his Baleful Bolts of Balthak, it's five dice mystic with a wild pierce. He gains power equal to damage dealt. He has the Eye of Agamotto. It's an incredibly consistent attack. You throw Voodoo in the mix to buff that, to make it seven dice, and there's a lot of things you're going to take out in one go. It's not Mm -hmm. all the time. You're going to have bad rolls. That happens... You just got to deal with it. But being able to use Strange to get that extra power to then start scalpeling not only yourself, but your team and their team all over the map. Like I said, that range three place is one of the most powerful pieces of control in the game. I I think the only character that can control better natively is Thanos in terms of like one for one has a better control situation because he can take the mind gem with him. Right? Mm-hmm. Like space mind Thanos, Mrs. Thanos. Miss Thanos. Yes. Is is gonna do better. However, the nice thing about Strange is because his attack is so potent, you can usually get off two scalpels a turn and have enough power left over to where you'll be able to start the next turn with a scalpel. The most I've ever done is three, which costs 12 power, but I've done it. <laughs> awesome. On a roll. It was awesome. So, you know, started with four and then did the whole thing. Anyway, it doesn't matter. But I like to say attrition with a side of control because I can use strange to get up there, do the damage. I can use voodoo to get up there and do the damage. And then like we talked about with like a Hulk, I like to splash in like one big character per game usually. And my current obsession right now is black Swan. Um, so she's really good at the murder. And so I really like her. And then another character that we haven't really talked about is magic. You know, magic's another character, again, a three threat. So on the cheaper side, but can really ramp some damage really nicely and has ways to get double taps kind of at will. If you will, Mm -hmm. (laughs) 
Hmm. And uh, so, <laughs> so kind of all of these things kind of combine. Like, and and the biggest weakness to the whole thing is Clea and or Mordo in terms of the damage. But what they do is provide you with, in Mordo's case, tools to enhance your damage. In Clea's case, a bit of control that you can leverage to either put your opponents out of position or put yourself into a better position. Mm -hmm. So that's why I say attrition with a side of control and then also playing a pole dock. I mean, I'm, I'm going to murder something with that card. Something's dying. Something's dying. Just depends <laughs> on what it is. <laughs> Maybe multiple somethings. Hopefully. Hopefully. But, uh, you know, all, all of it is an ancient one. Again, like I keep overlooking ancient one and I don't mean to, I don't intend to, but like she's really good at getting those kills. You know, if she had a reroll mechanic for her attack dice, it'd be like the best thing ever, but she doesn't. It's cool. That's why we have a ham doll. Mm -hmm. I'm just saying, but you know, I, I, I like to play that kind of force my opponent into a fight. Right. And outside of brotherhood and black order, it's been fairly successful. Brotherhood is one that because Magneto's so strong and they can have such a strong opening that it's you know, like the the moving juggernaut up, placing asteroid M, Magneto right there and just blitzing somebody. It's a very strong opening. So it's really hard to fight them. However, I feel like with someone like Black Swan, things are a little more interesting. Right. So, you know, it's uh, those those are the two hardest matchups for me to solve with this strategy. But that is why we have a Shadowlands Daredevil here and we have a Hamdahl here because I think Hamdahl really helps with some of that, too. But, uh, you know, I really like the Shadowlands Daredevil ninjas play to be able to get my book time up. And on scenarios like Montessi Formula or Spider Infected, he really comes in handy with those. Right. So yeah, I, I think those. I think the the Black Order and the Brotherhood are matchups that are hard for everybody, and everyone's kind of looking for for answers to those two. Honestly, this is true. They are uh, they are quite hard. Yeah, I mean, and and, and it's just one of those things where. They just have an output that is hard to match. Yeah. You know, and, and with someone like Juggernaut, who's who's pretty defensive, has a big health pool, really tanky. Magneto, who's going to be rolling six defense dice every time, and you just hope for a bad roll on that. It's tough. Toad's yeah. over there stealing your stuff. <laughs> yeah, it's... Brotherhood's a nightmare. <laughs> they, they can do so much now. Yeah. Uh, and with... Uh, from Chattanooga, Matt's been doing a lot of uh, the the Mystique Brotherhood and uh, showing that she is definitely contender for uh, like being a threat. Uh, and he's been doing a lot of crazy stuff with her. That's the few times, the couple times we played, uh, it's given me a bit of a headache trying to answer. Can you hear me? Sorry, my son. Uh, is he's sick today, so it's just kind of yes. Yeah, talk good. to me for a second. I'm sorry. What'd you say about you were talking about? So yeah, Matt, playing, Mystique, his Mystique Brotherhood giving me a headache. 
it yeah, <laughs> it gives me a headache too. Let me tell you. <laughs> well, uh, real quick, we're gonna transition to a couple of listener questions we've got. Uh, first, we're going to have our a word from our sponsor. I'm gonna go ahead and say it. I haven't recorded myself saying it yet because every time I try it, it fucks up. <laughs> so give me just a second to read this giant fucking paragraph in the chat. <laughs> Do it. This show wouldn't be possible without the members of the Guild Hall and our sponsors, Tritex Games, based in the EU, and War Room Hobbies, based here in Tennessee. Both are great local gaming stores that have game nights and are supporting their local communities. So if you're shopping online anyway, please consider using them as an option to support a local game store instead of a company like Amazon. And to help beat those prices, I have some codes that will help save you even more off of their already discounted prices. If you use the code TRITEXGGCP5, that's T-R-I-T-E-X-G-G-C-P and the number 5, at checkout, you will save an extra 5% off from your Tritex's MCP selection. And if you check out War Room Hobbies, you can use the code MCP2022, that's MCP2022, for an extra 10% off of your order. And if you already are shopping from your local game store and are wanting to support the guild's videos or podcasts, check out our Patreon page. For as little as a dollar a month, or $12 a year, you can help us continue to put out content for Marvel Crisis Protocol. Ugh! That was a lot. My jaw hurts now. A lot. It's a, it's a big spiel. That was a lot. Uh, so, we got a couple of listener questions. Um, literally just... Oh, actually, no, we've had a couple more since I last checked. Um, it was sort of last minute, so we don't have a bunch. The first one is not a listener question. It's Kenny. Why are Mystic characters the coolest? Because they do cool stuff. They do cool stuff. They're magic. Yeah. I mean, look, every time I roll for an objective, I'm like, let me roll some magical dice real quick. See what happens. Is Blade considered a mystic character because he has mystic katanas? He's mystic adjacent. Mystic adjacent? I can deal with that. Yeah. I, I can't argue that. Character, but he's mystic adjacent. Like I, I didn't have an opinion on it. I was just going to argue with you whichever way you said, but I, you know what? Fair. Yeah. You have defeated me. <laughs> Take that. Uh, Captain Funtime asks, what matchups are they good? Are Convocation good against, and what are some affiliations who can counter them? We kind of mentioned the second one being uh, like Black Order and Brotherhood because of like all the physical and displacement and shenanigans they can do. Uh, but what do you feel are good matchups for Convocation? So I actually really feel solid into a lot of Avengers, typically, mm-hmm. because I feel like the Sam spam t- style list or even the Steve style list, like, okay, you're going to have some physical, but especially given, and I'm, I'm going to, go into the idea of using the Shadowlands Daredevil strategy to mm-hmm. get my books more commonly up. The They're really good in that. You know what I mean? Because yeah. I can get my books up and then Sam's attack isn't as potent into my team. Like he's still probably going to get his displacement, but again, okay, Sam displaces uh, Mordo. Well, Mordo just moves right back with the vaulting. Yep. You know, stuff like that. That I think is really strong, uh, pretty good. Another one that I think that they're decent into is X Men and X Force, because especially currently the X Men have an X twenty three and Honey Badger obsession, which is fine. Mm-hmm. Those are good characters. 
those two characters also have a two mystic defense. True. So <laughs> super good there. Um, other than that, I think that really good is it, there isn't one like definitive really good matchup. But the thing that that sorry for that. Good. The thing that they do well is mitigating the positives that a lot of other teams can bring to bear. Yeah. Kind of like yeah. how I was talking about in, in my thing, like they have a lot of tools to deal with a lot of different issues. Right. Uh, I like your, you're talking about the Avengers. I was going to say the same thing because you've got people like Sam and Steve and Panther, particularly in your attrition style list. They have a lot of good defensive tech versus like physical and energy, but next to none versus mystic. Exactly. Uh, so you kind of like these traditionally like hard to kill characters for their point cost all of a sudden aren't for you because all of your attacks just ignore all the cool stuff that make them hard to kill. Yeah. No vibranium shield against mind bullets. Yeah. Versus mind bullets. And uh, your vibranium armor doesn't matter when I'm attacking your brain. (laughs) Exactly. Deep down in your psyche. That's it. So, you know, another one is web warriors too, honestly, like, like they're not, it's not what I would say a good or great matchup per se, but it's not a bad matchup. Yeah. A lot of their characters don't like seeing the mystics. Exactly. And you also have some access to energy and uh, Venom isn't a big fan of that, but Venom also is not something you like seeing. Oh no. Yeah. We don't like Venom. He, he yeah. no fun for us. Venom is scary. Yes. So it's, it's a really good question. Cabin fun time. I, I will say it's, it's, and it's such a, a, they're not really good against anything, but they're just, they're just, they've got the tools. They got the tools. Yep. I, I think convocation is less like, you know, criminal syndicate where there's obviously good matchups. I think they're more of like, they're going to be like a skill expression kind of thing. Like you can probably handle almost any problem presented to you. If you have the skill and the tools in your list to do it, it's just a matter of get, finding both of those things. Yeah, which sometimes the skill definitely leaves me. Got to find it out in the wild sometimes. Oh, yeah. Got to go catch it. Got to catch them all. (laughs) Uh, Another listener slash non-listener question from uh, Matthew from the cast, Shadow Marvel. Uh, I think this one's directed at you uh, specifically. It is, how many skulls can Clea roll on a single power gate action? Well, the most I've ever seen was four. (laughs) Theoretically, she could roll five. Theoretically, uh, I think that that's less than a 1% chance of that happening. But, you know, let me tell you, the odds, you know, they don't mean nothing to me. If if you have ever done it, let us know. I want to hear about it. I want to hear your Clea killed herself story. Like, yeah. on her, she tried to gain a little bit of power, and the universe just said, nah, you can just, be, you can just dazed. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then a more serious question uh, what are your preferred sides of the leadership card? So which side do you like better? I prefer Circle the Cosmos. I feel like I generally get more benefit out of it. So for a lot of different reasons, right? So we're talking about attrition, okay? Like re-rolling a single die, typically on offense, it, it's like, yeah, okay, you want that one damage to go through. Typically, the single die reroll on offense doesn't net gain that much. Yep. Whereas, 
if let's say I'm trying to get closer to my opponent, and especially a good example of this is with Ancient One, right? I'm trying to get closer to my opponent, trying to get to that range two. I don't want to spend actions to get in to murder you. Well, now I'm going to be able to take my damage, take my lumps, place closer, and now I might not have to use an action when I get to clap back on the upcoming turn. Or, vice versa, if Dr. Voodoo is sitting out there at that fringe range four of somebody, well, maybe they were in double tap range, but now they're not because I placed within that range one, and now I'm I'm not there anymore. So, so the the circle of the cosmos play is my typical play. I always start with that, and there's times to switch. Uh, you know, there's times to go for the reroll side, but I find that I get significantly more utility out of the placement side than the other side. Yeah, I can always see that. I think that the placement side is probably like the harder one to use with the most potential benefit, and the Reroll side is the easier to use, the easier to see immediate benefit out of, but not quite as powerful. Absolutely. Which is why I like it, because uh, I don't know enough about Convocation yet. Like, <laughs> I, I typically think, when I'm thinking about my list, I'm thinking about how to adv- how to get advantage out of that most of the time. And uh, typically, like, I don't think that's the proper way to play them. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I mean, you and I have talked about it a fair bit, and like, you know, when you when you are setting up your play to Poldock turn or when you're like, okay, I have a chance to take out a leader on, let's say, round three. Uh, let's just assume the dice have gone to the point where I have an opportunity to KO a leader to start round three. Mm-hmm. Well, then that reroll could come in handy. Pushing that one more damage through could be extremely useful. And let's not forget... It's every attack. So if you're double tapping, you're getting to re-roll that one die mm-hmm. in each attack. It's not just per attack action. So it can add up. And especially if you play in a pole dock somebody, so you know. So there's a lot of there's a lot of reasons for it. If you're going into a Hulk or a She-Hulk trying to finish them off, stuff like that. Right. Yeah, I think uh more so than preferring a side, uh, learning when to swap is the most important thing you can do. 100%. And I'm still not good at it. <laughs> it's hard. All right. Well, uh, <clears throat> without any other listener questions, I think we're going to go ahead and wrap this episode up. It's a little long, but that's fine. I think we get a lot of good information in here. I hope so. Uh, <laughs> uh Real quick, once again, uh, where can people find you, and what are some things that you might have going on? Uh, well, people can find me over at the House Party Protocol podcast, available on any podcast platforms. I'm also out there on all all the Discord channels as at HPP underscore Will. Uh, any MCP Discord channel I'm a part of, that's my my name again at HPP underscore Will. So you can find me there, and uh, you can just Come and check out our Facebook page. That's probably the, a good spot to check us out, check out the podcast and, and all that fun stuff. And we've got a painting contest going on right now, so you can check that out. Pin posts on our Facebook page if you're interested there. So, yeah. That. Awesome. 
there was one other thing I was going to mention to you, but I can't remember what it was now. Oh, I do have one other thing to mention. So season eight's about to start up. I do stream on Twitch. So you can check out the Twitch stream. I will be sharing that to my socials when I do that, obviously. But uh, my Twitch channel is twitch.tv slash Darth Balls, and that's Balls with a Z, 05. So you can check that out if you want. You know, don't judge teenage me for making that name and then adult me for sticking with it, you know. Whatever. I, I love hearing you say it because I hear you die inside a little bit every single time. I should just, just change it. But at this point, it's just a meme, you know? It's just it's just a part of it now. Yes. I remember what I was going to mention. Uh, on your podcast, if you want to hear us talk about your convocation list more, we will have uh, the TTS special report again uh, starting Excellent. soon. Uh, where we're going to talk about our list for the upcoming season. Uh, week by week, uh, a breakdown of uh, our previous game and the how we plan to tackle the next game. Um, this is in addition to talking about my me talking about my list on this cast, which we will also have soon with uh, the other boys talking about uh, all this. It's probably be a big, really big episode. We'll probably do uh, one at the beginning, maybe a middle, a middle one, like a little progress report, and then definitely one right before the cuts. Uh, for any of us that are in cuts or maybe reflections we have if we didn't make it. Uh, and with that, let's. Uh, do you have any cool non-MCP related things to shout out? This is the end game now. Oh, we're in the end game now. We are in the end game now. Do you have any cool things you're doing outside of MCP? Uh, cool thing you're watching or listening to or, or nerd stuff that you want to mention? Uh, you know, maybe not so much nerd stuff or anything like that but you know mm -hmm. just uh you know these are trying times we live in these days at different times so just make sure that if you're out there know that you know you're you're a good person you're a wonderful person whoever it is listening to this and that you deserve to take care of yourself and have the best in your life and i just you know i want everybody to know that even if i don't know you personally i still care about everyone and i, I want everyone to uh you know, just be happy and, and do the best that they can in these tough times. And don't ever be afraid to reach out if you ever need anything. Yeah, I can second that. The most heartwarming end game we've ever had, I think. Yeah. Very well said. Uh, well, with that, um, we are going to go ahead and wrap it up. If y'all, y'all can find us on the Discord, which is available through our Patreon. Uh, like... Will here. I am also on a lot of the, the discords as well as the other hosts. Uh, I am Merzane on the discords. Feel free to message me if you have any questions about this episode or any other ones. Uh, and with that, until next time, keep on gaming.